The following audio is from Harvest Fellowship. For more information about Harvest Fellowship, visit harvestabq.org. Well, listen, I am super excited because you are going to hear from one of the best preachers that I know. Uh, I happen to be married to her, uh, and I am so excited. I asked Lisa uh, months ago, uh, many of you will know that it was about a year ago that she moved from being the kids pastor. She moved into a church-wide role. She's helping us in a bunch of other ways. And as soon as that happened, I said, you know what the best news is? She said, what? I said, you can now preach on a Sunday. And, and if you know her, uh, you know that um, that is a little bit intimidating for her. She'd much rather t- teach kids or maybe teach a ladies Bible study. But I was like, no, the whole church needs to hear your voice. And so um, reluctantly, uh, I twisted her. I got her. I, 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 I said, let's put a date on the calendar now. So we picked Mother's Day and then she couldn't back out. And uh, I'm so excited. Uh, I got to hear her message yesterday. She did what I do. She came in on Saturday to practice, and I said, can I come and just sit on the front row and just listen and just be a part? And she let me for a little while, and then she said, you got to get out of here. You're not helping me at all. <laughs> and so I went, and I did some work around the church, and she, she preached, and uh, she's ready to bring the word today. And I know you're going to be, whether you're a mom or not, I'm just telling you, today's word is for you. You're going to be so encouraged today. Would you help me welcome Pastor Lisa as she comes this morning? Well, happy Mother's Day, everybody. I hope that you guys feel honored, especially you moms that are in the house and watching online. As Jason said, like you have a very important job. And there's something that every single one of us have in common in this room. We all had a mom who brought us into this world, and she can take us out of this world. Who, whoever heard that when you grow, you, when you, okay, I know who to keep my eye on this morning. Everybody that has their hand raised. Um, really, I am so honored to be here this morning and to speak to you. But if I'm honest, um, when Jason asked me to speak for Mother's Day, I was also a little bit nervous. Yes, because I get a little anxious, but also because it is not lost on me that over half of you in this room probably aren't moms, right? Um, so I kind of had this task of how do I speak on a Sunday morning and not isolate half of the room, right? We have guys in the room. You're not moms, obviously. We have teenagers. We have some kids that are hanging out in the room. But really, my heart was more for the women in the room that aren't moms and you haven't been given that opportunity yet. And maybe you want nothing more than to desperately have a child. And so I know, I just want to state that in the room, that I know that those are those, there are those of you in the room in that situation. And maybe some of you, you've lost your mom and she's not here this year, and you're not able to celebrate with her. And then maybe others of you don't have a relationship with your children, or maybe you don't have a relationship with your mom as well. And so I just want to say this morning that God sees you, that he knows you, that he cares about you. He knows your story. He's mindful of you. And I am 100% positive that the, the message that the Lord laid on my heart this morning is specifically for you. So if you're not a mom in the room, don't tune me out. 
about. This message is for you. It's for every single person in the room. Um, so this morning, um, I want to do what we always do. We kind of take this um, posture, and we just pray, and we ask the Lord to speak to us. We take about a minute, and we just say, Lord, open our hearts to whatever you have this morning. So if you can do that with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet with you. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you. God, we ask that you would open our hearts, Lord. We, we don't close off any part, Lord. We open it all to you. We pray that you would invade our lives, invade our space. Do what only you can do, God, and reach down deep inside, Lord, and minister to us, speak to us, meet us exactly where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, this morning we are going to be talking about Hannah and the beauty of brokenness. So I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20, and I'm going to read all 20 verses. And I know that's a lot, but it's important that you get every detail of this story because we're going to go through it. So just focus with me this morning, um, and we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us through it. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Okay, let me just say this. The fact that I pronounced all of those words, that just shows you God is all up in this message this morning. You can be confident that he is going to speak to you. So here we go. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year. Okay, this is a phrase throughout the message that you're going to hear a lot. So I'm going to want your help. Every time I say year after year, just repeat it after me. Okay, ready? Let's try it. Year after year. year this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Yes, you guys are awesome. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, oh, already, actually this part. Okay, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Okay, side note, that was not helpful. Okay, all the guys in the heart. In the, in the room, just a, just a side note, it wasn't helpful. The comment wasn't helpful. What she needed was him to just hug her, to just let her cry. All those questions that he asked, let's find them. Why don't you eat? Why are you down here? He didn't even want to know the answer. He had to make it about him, right? He was trying to fix it. So guys, take a clue from Elkanah. Don't do that. Just, we just want to hug. Yes, we want the double portions. You can give us that, right? And tell your other mean wife to stop being rude to us. But we don't need the, the comments that aren't helpful. Okay, so verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. 
In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Let me just point out two words here um, that describe where Hannah is. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there now. It says that she was in deep anguish and she is weeping bitterly. And then in this state, she Praise. So we're going to make note of that. Verse 11, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying the Lord Eli to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Again, poor Hannah. Like she was visibly upset. She was weeping. And the guy was just like, why are you drunk? Put away your wine. I mean, Eli, she just needed you to pray for her. Okay. So guys, come on, come on, help us out. Okay. Verse 15. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Notice she was at the rock bottom, right? She prayed, she eats, and then the Bible says that her face was no longer downcast, but her prayer hadn't even been answered yet. And that's really important. We're going to dive into that in just a minute. Last two verses. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Now there is a lot to unpack in this passage of scripture, so I'm going to break it down into two sections um, today. The first is Hannah's battle, and the second is Hannah's breakthrough. So first we're going to talk about Hannah's battle. She was fighting an intense physical emotional and spiritual battle. And some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you have been there before, or maybe you're there now and you feel like you're just being beat down. You're being knocked down. You're being punched over and over and over again, year after year, year after year. You feel like you just can't catch a break. And this is where we find Hannah. She was fighting for her life. She was in a battle. And why was she fighting? Number one, she was barren. And this was her physical battle. She was infertile. She couldn't have children. Verse two says, Elkanah had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. It was the hope of every Jewish couple to have children. Children were seen as a gift, as a, an heritage of the Lord. Um, in Psalm 127, verses three through four, it was written during this time, and it says, children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring is a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. So during that time, it was thought that the more children you had, the better, so we should just go ahead and have as many children as possible. Um, I don't know about you guys, if you're, what your conversations were like when you first got married, 
but when Jason and I first got married, I was like, let's have kids, I'm so ready, come on. And he's like, hold your horses, you know. And I'm like, come on, come on, it's time, it's time. No, not yet. And finally, I talked him into having our first daughter, Mercy. And I was like, yes, this is the beginning of something amazing. And he was like, awesome, we have a kid, we're done. And I'm like, what? done. I want to have six. And he's like, I didn't even know about one. Okay. So we had to kind of meet in the middle. We ended up having three kids and I'm sure you guys had conversations like that with your spouse as well. But Hannah, she didn't get to have that conversation with her husband. She didn't get to make that decision because she was barren. And barrenness means incapable of producing, wanting or lacking. And in the Oxford Dictionary, when it's talking about land, it says of being barren that it is not good enough soil for plants to grow on. So I don't know how many of you guys enjoy springtime. You like planting. You like flowers. Anybody? Okay, a lot of you, you like just kind of, I like to like put my hand in the soil, right? And smell the dirt and plant something and see it bloom and grow. So when it started getting warmer a couple weeks ago, I told Jason, I'm like, we need some new plants for our front door. It'd be so pretty. So he being an amazing husband went to Costco and he's like, what can I find? And he found two lavender um, bushes and they were so awesome. I loved them. I'm like, this is perfect. And for those of you like you know, students in the house. I even took a picture and put it on my Be Real. I was like that excited about the lavender. I'm like, these are awesome, right? And then two days later, kind of noticed they're just like drooping. And I'm like, what's the deal? Did we not water them enough? Did we water them too much? Are they in too much sun? Not enough sun. Like, what's going on? So we just started babying them, right? Like, are you okay? Here's some water. Maybe not, you know? What can we do to make these lavender grow? And it just wasn't growing. And so Costco is amazing, and they let you take back anything. So Jason was like, let's take them back. So he brought them back to Costco, and he went up to the guy, and he said, hey, like, these aren't growing. And, you know, my wife kind of has a little bit of a green thumb, and it's just not working, and we don't know why. And um, he said, you know what? I don't know what's up with these plants, but everyone's been taking them back. They're all just like, dying. And so we'll give you new ones. Um, you know, and, and I don't know if maybe you can relate to that. Like you're in a season of barrenness and you're doing all the things that you know to do and you're fasting and you're praying and you're just not seeing any results. You're just not seeing a change. You're not seeing an answer. And this is where Hannah was. Childlessness was such a stigma that it was seen as a curse from God. In verse 11, Hannah says, Lord, if you will look on my misery. So her barrenness was misery. And then in Genesis, Jacob's wife, Leah, she finally became pregnant. And she said, the Lord has looked upon my affliction. So being childless was an affliction. And then at the end of Genesis, Rachel couldn't have children. And here's what she said to Jacob, give me children or I will die. So Rachel would actually rather die than not have children. Was she being dramatic? Like maybe a little, but really during this time, if a woman couldn't have a son or a daughter within 10 years, then that was grounds for divorce. And if not divorce, then that man was allowed to marry a second wife so that she could bear children for him. And this is where we find Hannah and biblical scholars believe this is why Elkanah married Penina. And that leads us to the second cause of Hannah's battle. She was belittled, and this was her emotional battle. Hannah had a rival, and her name was Penina. Can you say Penina with me? 
Penina. Okay, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like you have somebody in your life, like a Penina in her in your life. Hopefully her name's not Penina. Hopefully nobody's naming their kids Penina anymore. But this is just a, a cause of of like pain in your life. Someone who's just constantly at you, right? Somebody who is frustrating to you, somebody who's rude, somebody who's just plain mean. And I have a hard time with people that are just mean. I don't get it. I'm like, why are, why are you mean? Why do you do this, right? And this was Penina. She was just rude. She was just mean. Verse four says, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Penina, and to all of her sons and daughters. Did you get that? Penina had lots of sons and daughters. She was the source of Hannah's distress. But she, Hannah, didn't have any children. And so let's look now at verse 6. Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and she would not eat. So here's Hannah. She's showing up. She's going to the temple. She's doing all the things that she should be doing. She's consistent. But this taunting is also consistent. Hannah's in her home. She's in her safe place, right, where she, would, she should feel comfortable. But she can hear Penina's children, and it just brings her to tears. And then she goes to the sanctuary, sanctuary, this place of refuge, right? The tabernacle. But even there, as they sit down to eat, she's taunted. She's made fun of. She's ridiculed. And maybe some of you in the room can relate to Hannah. You love Jesus, but you're just going through some things right now. You're showing up. You're going to church. You're in a life group. You're serving on the dream team, right? You're praying. You're reading your Bible. You're being consistent. But the enemy is just at as consistent. You know, some people think when we give our lives to Jesus that it's just going to be easy. It's going to be rainbows and butterflies and everything's going to be awesome, but that's not the case. That's not what the Bible says. The temptations keep coming. Panina keeps whispering in our ear. It's still there, and who we listen to is going to determine our future. So what do we do when we're being taunted, when we're being tempted, when we feel like we just can't catch a break? Hannah shows us we stay consistent. We keep showing up. We keep praying. Hannah keeps showing up despite the pain, despite the situation, despite when she looks at her her family and says, there's no way that this is going to be resolved. She kept going. She understood the power of consistency, and she didn't give up because of her circumstances, because of the way she felt. She didn't let her emotions rule her. Instead, she made a decision, I'm going to stay consistent. I'm not giving up. And we as believers, have that, we have to have the same mentality. We don't shrink back in intimidation, and this is why Hebrews 12, 2 says, our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he is working all things together, Romans 8, 28 says, for our good and for his glory. So I want to encourage you to keep showing up, keep being consistent, and keep praying. So here's Hannah. She's living in a house with Penina, who's mean, and she's bullying her. And Penina gets the one thing that Hannah wants, and that is a child. Why doesn't Hannah get the child. Why doesn't she get it? And that leads us to the third cause of Hannah's battle. Number three, she was bitter. And this was her spiritual battle. It wasn't just that Hannah was barren. It wasn't just that Penina was a thorn in her side. But verse six says, for some reason, the Lord had chosen to close Hannah's womb. 
not Satan, not because of any sin that Hannah had committed. The Bible says the Lord, it says God closed Hannah's womb. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? It's kind of hard. Like Christians are a little scared of saying things like that. Like we just kind of like, let's just pass by that verse and let's move on to the next. But we're going to talk about it. It's what the Bible says. God had chosen. Why would God keep her from producing in the area that she wants to? Why would a loving God do this? And maybe you have some whys this morning too. Why can't I have a baby? Why is everybody else married and I'm not? Why does everybody else's family look like they have enough money and mine doesn't? Why is everybody else's kids following Jesus but mine are running from him? Why did someone get healed and I didn't? Why did they get a good doctor's report? And I don't. Why? We all have these questions, right? Why, God, did you close my womb? Why, God, can't I produce? And first of all, I just want to say that it is okay to ask these questions. I just want to let you know that God's shoulders are big enough to carry them. He is not intimidated by them. He's not scared by them. It doesn't hurt his feelings. He's not mad at you. The Bible is full of men and women who are open and honest, bearing their soul before God, saying, why? But I also think that we have to be careful feeling like we deserve an answer. That we don't always have to know why God does what he does. And it's okay to admit that. You know, we want to know, God, why did you close Hannah's womb? I have no idea. I, I looked. I didn't see an answer anywhere. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you had some revelation when you've read this, but I have no idea why. And you maybe have the same, God, why did that person die from cancer? I don't know. Why was there a tragic car accident? I don't know, but this is what I do know. And this is what the Bible says about God's ways. Isaiah 55, eight through nine, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We may not know why, but this is what we do know, that we can trust in God's sovereignty. We can trust that he is a good God who does good and he wants good for our lives. Hannah knew that God had the power to open her womb and didn't. And then she had a choice to make. She could either run from God or she could run to God. And she chose to run to God. And because she cho chose to run to him, that's why her breakthrough came. So we're going to look at Hannah's breakthrough now. How did she see a breakthrough? Number one, she stood up. Year after year, say it with me, year after year, Hannah came to Shiloh with all of her family, all of her friends. This was a time of great celebration. They were excited. This is when they would worship together as a community. It was supposed to be um, just a, a joyfulness. Think of Christmas, like our Christmas, right? All the families together, you're all excited. You're eating the food. This is what it was when they went to the tabernacle year after year. But it wasn't a time of rejoicing for Hannah, right? It's the time that she felt the most rejected. And this played out every year, but this time something was different. Hannah had reached her breaking point. She was being tormented to the point where she wept. She couldn't even even talk. She couldn't even pray a prayer. And finally, she's like, I'm done. I can't take it anymore. And verse 9 says, she stood up. 
She did something, and we need to do something too. We can't stay in our victim mentality. We can't stay in the, it's not fair, but what about me? We can't be blinded by our grief. We have to get up, not in our own strength, but in the strength that only God can give to us. Ephesians 6.13 says this, Therefore, Put on the full armor or armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Sometimes we think of breakthrough as this really big, all right, like we're doing this, we have to make this big thing, this big life change. But usually breakthrough starts with one decision. I'm going to stand up. I refuse to be a victim anymore. I refuse to think this way anymore. I refuse to feel this way anymore. I refuse to be pounded and punched and shot down. I am not going to take it anymore. And when you really get to your breaking point, you are desperate and you are willing to put aside every distraction. And that's what Hannah did. She broke away from the celebration. She broke away from the voice of Penina. She broke away even at that time from the voice of her husband. And when you're that desperate, I don't know if you've ever been there. You don't care about what anybody else says. You don't want to hear the opinions of man. You don't want to hear the voices in your head. You just want to be alone in your closet, in your room, at an altar with you and your God. And you want to say, God, what do you say about this? And that's where Hannah was. It's deciding, I just can't be this way any longer. I need to stand up. I need to break away. I need to be with God. And you might say, you know, God, like I've just been waiting on you. But in reality, when I was reading this verse, I realized, no, God was there all along. He was waiting on Hannah. He was in the same spot year after year. He was there year after year. That's right, Miss Pink. Year after year, he was in the same spot, but he had to wait for Hannah to reach her breaking point. So once she wrote, once she reached her breaking point, she stood up in the number two she prayed through. So I'm not sure if you're a church kid like me, but if you grew up in church, you've heard, we're going to pray through. And when I heard pray through, I thought of all the church ladies that were like surrounding another lady at our church where my dad was the pastor. I'm a pastor's kid. We had a prayer room off to the corner right over here and it had a door on. It was kind of dark. They had like lamps lit in there. And when those ladies went, they were taking somebody with them and you know, she was going through something and they were staying in there till they prayed through and you could hear them in the sanctuary. They're just praying and they're going after it. That's what I think of with praying through, right? Anybody remember that? Okay, so Hannah went to the temple to pray through, to pour out her bitterness and her pain and her disappointment. She didn't just praise her way through the storm. She didn't just quote scriptures to build her faith, even though that's all good. Those are great things, but she had to start with where she was. And if we are going to be in a deep relationship with the Lord, it's not just singing a song and lifting our hands, but it's pouring out in honesty our feelings, our bitterness, our circumstances, where we are. And that's what Hannah did. When we do that, then all of that pain can be exposed to the presence of the Lord. And when it's exposed to God's presence, that's when we can walk away with purpose. I know you've probably heard kind of that cliche, there's purpose in your pain, right? This is what they mean. There can be purpose in your pain when you take that and you put it in the presence of the Lord. The scriptures say, 
In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord. Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. You know, Hannah in the Bible, it says she was weeping to the point that she had no appetite. Have you been there before? I've been there before. It says that out of her deep anguish, her her lips were moving, but she couldn't even voice any words. Do you know that level of desperation? I know that level of desperation where I've been so desperate that I'm on my face before God and I'm saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, God. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I just can't even have the words. I'm just crying and and I'm crying out. And Hannah's prayer was the same way. It wasn't about how loud she could pray. It wasn't about how powerful. It wasn't going through the rituals. This was not a duty. It wasn't a performance. This prayer was not for anyone else but her and God. And she was pouring out her soul. And God heard and moved on behalf of Hannah's voiceless prayer. And I want you to know that he hears every one of your whispered, broken prayers where you can't even form a sentence, when you don't even really know what to say. He hears them. Matthew 6, 5 through 8 says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. God isn't impressed with our fancy words. He's not impressed with our rhetoric. It's about our heart posture. And prayer is simply communication with God. Those of you that may feel intimidated by prayer today, I want you to know it's just just talking to him. That's all it is. It's an invitation for God to take over your situation, to come and step in to the middle of what you're in. And Hannah was bold enough to believe that God could hear her. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that Hannah complained to her husband, I can't believe I'm in this situation. No, no, no. You know, I didn't hear that. I, it didn't say in the Bible that she fought back with Penina. I didn't hear that either. She took her pain and she poured it out before the Lord because she knew that her heart could be trusted to him despite what the outcome would be. And the beauty of prayer is this, that it's not wasted. Even if you feel like your prayer isn't being answered, prayer changes things. It's either going to change the situation or it's going to change you, but it's going to change something. And even when you don't see it, I promise things are changing. And that brings us to number three, Hannah was transformed. In verse 6, she was reduced to tears, and and she had no appetite, it says, but in verse 18, she went away, and her face was no longer downcast. And in between those verses, there was still no baby, but her countenance had changed. What had changed it? Prayer had changed it. Prayer did, and it began to transform Hannah from the inside out. It transformed her perspective of how she viewed herself, of how she viewed God, of how she viewed her situation. Her depression was gone, and she was filled with hope. Hannah had met with God in the midst of her pain, and she walked away with a peace that surpasses all understanding. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this, and you guys know it. 
Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hannah left that time of prayer with a peace that passes all understanding, despite her cir- the circumstances hadn't changed, but she left with peace. So just as a recap, here is Hannah out of her desperation, out of her pain. She comes and she prays to God and she says, God, please give me a son. And if you give me a son, I promise I'm going to turn him right back over to you. And then she got up and she ate and she washed her face. And then she went to be with her husband. And nine months later, she had a son and she named that son Samuel. And Samuel grew up to be one of the greatest prophets that Israel has ever seen. And one of the greatest contributions of Samuel is this. One day he walked into the house of Jesse and he said, Jesse, I'm here to anoint the next king of Israel. And Jesse was like, awesome, let me go get my sons. So he went and he got seven sons and he said, I have this guy, this is the firstborn, second, the third. And Samuel's just looking, he's like, nope, not it not him. Nope, that's not him either. And Samuel said, do you have any other children? And Jesse said, yeah, I have one, but he's just a shepherd boy. He's out in the pasture, you know, and Samuel said, well, go get him. Let's see. And as soon as he walked in the room, Samuel knew that this boy was going to be the next king of Israel, and his name was David. And Samuel took oil, and he poured it all down David's head, and he anointed him as king of Israel. And this is a big deal because Jesus is a descendant of David. Jesus came from the bloodline of David, and David was anointed king by Samuel, but Samuel would have never showed up on the scene if there wasn't a woman named Hannah who didn't give up, who decided to pray, who pressed in, who decided that she was going to stand up, who decided that she wasn't going to take it anymore. She wasn't going to be defined by her circumstances or her situation. She was going to pray through her pain, and she was going to be transformed by God. And her son Samuel was one of the greatest prophets, as we said, of the time. And he heard and he recognized the voice of God. And not only that, but he followed it and he obeyed it. And I can't help but believe that he learned to obey and hear the voice of God from his mother, from Hannah. 1 Samuel 1, 28 says this, He, speaking of Samuel, worshiped the Lord there. Chapter 2, verse 11 says, The boy was ministering to God in the presence of Eli the priest. The boy. Samuel was super young at this point. How did he learn to worship God when he was just a little boy? He learned from Hannah. He learned from his mother. He learned from his parents who set a faithful example from before he was born. And she not only talked about it, she didn't only teach him, she didn't only share the testimony, but she lived it out. And she worshiped God in front of Samuel. Year after year. Year after year. year. That's good. So never underestimate the power of your prayers and know that they don't only affect you, but they affect generations to come. Know those moments when you're on your knees and you're crying, you're saying, God, whatever it takes, God, please, God, meet my need. And you don't even know how to form the words. He hears, he hears the whispers. He heard Hannah's voiceless prayer and he hears your prayer too and he's responding it might not be the way you want it might not be the time you want but I promise you he hears right now today I remember that 
I prayed for the very things that I'm experiencing right now. And if God has done that for me, he's going to do it for every one of you. Psalm 43, 5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And I can confidently tell you this morning that there is unspeakable beauty on the other side of your brokenness if we will only keep our eyes on Jesus. So I want to invite you to stand this morning. And as you do, the worship team is going to lead us in one final song, and then we'll be right back up to pray with you. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. For more information, visit harvestabq.org.